Your Creativity, Episode 49. listening to the Own Your Creativity podcast with me, your host, Elizabeth Johnston. I'm an author, professor, and podcaster, and I help people tell their story. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. I'm really excited today to be talking to Kara Martin-Snyder. She is the owner-strategist of VitalCore, a health and lifestyle studio located at the three-way intersection of functional health, self-care, and strategic action. Kara is not your run-of-the-mill wellness coach, though. Sure, she's got the classroom and professional creds that many health coaches have, but she's also got a whole arsenal of tools and strategies stemming from her experience in the boardroom, the kitchen, and personal experience with the effects of chronic stress, namely irritable bowel syndrome. Serving frazzled type A women since 2009, Kara deconstructs the broken promises in her clients' lives. Uh, No, not broken promises, processes. (laughs) The broken processes in her clients' lives investigates why they might feel not so great and co-creates actionable steps towards a healthier life, a life spiked with passion and slathered with joy. I love that, slathered with joy. (laughs) Welcome to the show, Kara. Thank you for having me, Elizabeth. I'm psyched to be here. And you know, I made that mistake. I said broken promises instead of broken processes in your clients' lives. But I was thinking that, you know, when it comes to your health, that sometimes the process is the promise, you know, that that we've broken a promise with ourselves and that somehow we're dealing with things that maybe we need to refocus our, our promising to ourselves about. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. I mean, as you mentioned, I work with frazzled type A women. And so what I see and what I have known to be true for me as someone who is a type A woman, but not so frazzled anymore, is that we we overpromise what we can get done in a day to ourselves. So yeah, I, I think you're right. We have to look at where we're promising our time and energy. Yeah, that's so important. Can you talk a little bit more about what you do and, and how did you get to be doing that kind of stuff? <laughs> That's a great question. It's a, it's a long answer, but I'll, I'll try to be brief. But the reality is I've made a long career of turning around chaotic, painful situations. And I've done that in different capacities over the years. So when I first got out of school, I was actually a CPA. I was a certified public accountant. And I went into working on high profile bankruptcy cases and consulting on them. So there is a painful, chaotic situation for pretty much every party involved. And so part of my work was to come in and try to make sense of what was going on. And again, build processes, kind of contain the chaos or contain the splatter, as I used to say. And so that was how I kind of got my formative skills. And then over the years, you know, the the travel and the lifestyle and the hostile situations, because I was working with mostly men traveling probably like 95% of the year for stretches. And that was really eroding things. So kind of looking at like, okay, what are the biggest pain points for me? Well, the travel is killing me. The ridiculous hours are killing me. Sleeping on a conference room floor or standing up over a fax machine is killing me, resulting in things like IBS, which was kind of my digestive system was falling apart. And that's where I sort of manifested a lot of the stress. 
And so I sort of downshifted over the years, moving more to startup land and being the controller of several early stage startups or coming into companies. I think, you know, also coming into larger companies that had sort of departments that felt a little bit like the Wild West. So again, that controlling the chaos, like coming in and trying to restore some order for things. And, you know, startup life was really busy, but at least I got to sleep in my own bed. I got to walk to work, which felt like a dramatic improvement for me. Isn't it amazing? It's so you don't think of those things, but like just how much a commute can affect you. Yeah. When you were talking um, about what you did as a CPA, it actually made me think that that what you did not was not just organize the chaos, but it was starting the healing process, too. Absolutely. You know, the goal of whenever we were on those bankruptcy cases, when you get called in, it's sort of like no one at the company or sometimes people at the company have a clue of what's going on or what's causing the company to be in such financial distress. But there's, you know, when you look at the executives, when you look at the employees, there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of emotional stuff that's coming up. There's a lot of work to be done. And the goal is to try to transition it through the bankruptcy process or around the bankruptcy process and bring it back to a place where things are stable and try to do what you can to save it in the best way that you can for the circumstances. Sometimes it's not so pretty, but it, there's definitely a healing process there. And so now what what is it that you do? Yeah. So over the years and and unraveling my own root causes to my own basically digestive distress led me to the work that I've been doing as as a health and lifestyle strategist over the last seven years. So again, there's that thread in my story, right, of now coming together with women who are feeling really burnt out, often symptomatic, frustrated, a lot of times that they're not getting answers from their doctors. And so kind of coming to me often as a last resort to kind of help them figure out a strategy for looking at the foundational things in their health. And what are those, the foundational things in a person's health? Yes, as I see it, and I think this is up for a great debate, depending on, you know, whether you talk to conventional medicine practitioners, functional medical practitioners, integrative practitioners, holistic health practitioners. But the lens that I tend to use is looking at five things. So diet and hydration, rest and sleep, exercise and movement, stress management, and social relationships. Hmm. And so why is social relationships important in 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 this foundation here? Yeah, and that actually was inspired looking at the functional medicine model, where they kind of include social relationships as an aspect But more and more research we're seeing in in fields of positive psychology, in psychoneuroimmunology, psychoneuroendocrinology, we're seeing that connection with other human beings is integral to our health. Yeah, I think it's so important that people incorporate that into their approach of daily living because today we're so internet focused And I mean, here we are, 
thanks to technology, having this conversation over Skype, but it doesn't replace actually being in the room with somebody and having that, all that information, you know, of body language and and eye contact and just touch too. I mean, I don't, you probably are aware of this, that, that there was a study there somewhere out there that said that we need seven hugs a day to actually have optimal, optimal health. I haven't seen that, but I love it. I love the idea of it, like giving someone a homework assignment that they have to get three hugs a day for the next two to three weeks. I know. It's amazing, eh? (laughs) It is. (laughs) That's fantastic. So what's your definition of creativity? That's a great question. So I see myself as a doer. So I tend to think in verbs. You can also say that I tend to think in words, too. So to me, creativity is a state of actively creating something. And that could be something like shifting a perspective, a new process, a new recipe, conceiving a baby or or something artistic that people traditionally think of as, quote, creative, unquote. And how does creativity manifest in in your personal life or your work life or both? It's everywhere, I think. (laughs) So it manifests in in a few different ways. One way is you can't avoid being creative with the kind of health and lifestyle strategy work that I'm doing. Because, I mean, I have to be listening to where people are at and thinking about the constraints, thinking about the obstacles in their world, thinking about what's possible and having to be really creatively resourceful about what's going to move the needle for them. So in my work day, that's kind of where it fits in. The other place that it it really fits in, and this is sort of work and passion project for me these days, but is something called the 33K Taskless Project. And basically, I'm on a mission to collect 33,000 handwritten task lists from women around the world. And what I'm hoping to do is create a large scale art installation using those task lists and really examine our relationship with this little piece of paper that is so imbued with stressful energy and get it organized energy from women. And my hope is to sort of shape or reshape the conversation around stress, obligation and desire in the process. Hmm. So are you going to like read all these task lists and then create something out of them or actually use the physical task lists that are sent to you to create something like a sculpture? Yeah. So obviously to collect 33,000 task lists, it's going to take me a little, a little time. I'm at probably about 300 right now. So making progress and not bad for a few months of being out there in the world. What I'm hoping to do is because I make conversation all day and make change and make process, I do all this invisible stuff and I'm really craving doing something with my hands that touched on my work and hearing about the stress and the sleepless nights and the energy drained out of women in the past seven years in these private conversations I've been having it felt like a natural link to kind of pull those two together and use the task list to make some art. So what I'm picturing is, and I'm, I'm not married to this idea and I'm still giving myself room to let it percolate, but some sort of large scale installation using the actual lists where people can come in and see 
and feel it viscerally, like what looking at 33 handwritten task lists looks and feels like. Mm -hmm. And to your, the other part of that question is, I guess in the process, what I'm envisioning is that at some point there will be a great day of scanning where I scan all the lists before I actually start gluing, cutting, pasting (laughs) and installing them somewhere so that maybe I can go back and understand it from a data perspective, which makes the dormant CPA in me really happy. Yes. But what about the person who's going to be standing over the photocopier all that time? (laughs) I know. I I feel like I'll need an army of employees at that point just to scan, scan, scan. So have you always thought of yourself as a creative person or did you develop that notion of yourself as a creative person? That's a great question. I've been thinking about this a lot and I, I've never thought of myself as not a creative person. I think for a long time, I defined creativity different. I thought it had to be more in the fine arts or you had to be a writer or things like that. And it was in pulling together my health and lifestyle practice and having to answer the question, wait, you were an accountant and now you're a health and lifestyle strategist. How does that make sense? Like, why should we hire you? I had to really look at like what I was good at. And one of the things that I came to besides quelling chaotic, painful situations and sort of facilitating a healing process, as you as you mentioned so artfully, It's really about I'm naturally curious and open to solutions. And that in itself, I think, holds the space for me to be creative within certain constraints, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when you were able to answer that question, you know, how how is it that I can go from CPA to a health and wellness coach? When you when you answered that question for yourself, uh, what did it open up for you in terms of opportunity or possibilities? It opened up this well of confidence. I, I think I was sort of doubting the change, even though I had made some pretty radical improvements to my own body and to my own life and changed my career and really was managing the symptoms of IBS, it allowed me to explain it to somebody else. Like I knew I could do the work. I knew I could sit with people and facilitate the kind of conversations that I wish I had had when I was in my 20s. And literally, you know, it got as bad for me as crapping my pants on an airplane you know, that was, that was the existential rock bottom for me. And so I knew coming back from that and everything that I had applied to get there and learned to get there, but being able to explain it is incredibly important, right? Like that's the, that's the linchpin. So obviously you were on a creative journey in a sense to figure out how to uh, manage your IBS. And so what were some of the steps that you went through? I'd imagine that you'd gone to doctors and you'd you know, done all the conventional things, but what were some of the unconventional steps that, that you had to employ in order to get a handle on your IBS? Yeah, so I did go to doctors and was really frustrated with the process. The only thing I was getting was handed more prescriptions And I remember after one appointment getting handed three prescriptions walking out. And it was such a New York moment where I got handed the prescriptions, walked out of the office in New York City, 
went one block sort of tearing up thinking, what does my life become? Walked a second block thinking, wait, this doesn't, I don't know that this is going to work or this is the right path for me. And then the third block and the last block getting into the subway entrance was me sort of tossing all the prescriptions in the trash and kind of thinking, no way, this is not what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing next, but I'm, this is not what I'm doing. So I think that was an important realization to just, if it doesn't feel right, question it. It's okay to, to negotiate or, or push back or, or ask questions. And when I realized I wasn't going to get any more information on that path, then I had to start finding and exploring other paths. And there were lots of things that I tried, but ultimately I realized, okay, I need to clean up my diet. That's for certain. I was living on caffeine and bagels and junk and alcohol and lots of alcohol, (laughs) more alcohol probably. So having to clean up some of the really basic fundamental things that we all kind of know, but don't necessarily do your broken promises theory in in play. And then also looking at just, was I sleeping? No, (laughs) like I wasn't getting any sleep. And as I started to just, I always had exercise. So that was in place for certain, but then kind of looking at how come I can't achieve any motion forward on these three things? And then that started me down the path of like, well, what's getting in the way? Okay, what's getting in the way now? So it was probably a a four or five year process of just, okay, let me make this small thing a habit and make this small thing a habit. Now with my clients, I can speed that process up a lot because I can help them identify the things that are going to move the needle faster all of the things I did were moving everything forward, but there were certainly some things that move things forward more than others. Right. I was at um, TEDx Montreal talks uh, for Montreal women. And there was one woman who, she's a a doctor, private practice, um, general practice. And uh, I think before she was 30, she she had experienced um, illness and kind of almost like an emotional breakdown because she realized that she was very limited in what she could actually do for her clients and for her her patients, you know, that, that really she just could throw prescriptions at them and that, that didn't actually deal with the underlying problem. And then, and then she experienced it herself and realized that she found her way out of it. But what she realized was that prescriptions are good only in the sense that they buy you some time and some kind of stability so that you could figure out what the real problem is. Yes. Yeah. And that, and that's what I found. It was just a patch, nothing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I, for a long time, I was commuting for business by plane and carrying a copy of human and some human anatomy book covered in brown paper. Cause at that point I had earned first class status when I flew. And so the last thing I wanted was to talk to some like 45 year old man having a drink next to me on Friday afternoon about why I was reading about the digestive system. So, so like the New York Public Library certainly became my friend in the process. Mm-hmm. And so what was the result of like, so 
your IBS is managed now or it's it's not an issue anymore? What's the end process here for you? Well, the interesting thing about IBS is it's what they call a diagnosis of exclusion. So it means you don't have ulcerative colitis, you don't have Crohn's disease, but you have all these really gnarly digestive sy- symptoms that we can't fully grasp that fit within certain parameters. So we're just going to call it IBS. Oh, okay. You know, I didn't know that at the time, but that was what I have come to learn. So for me, my symptoms are managed as long as I'm taking care of myself, right? So like, for example, I know when I travel, it's hard to stay hydrated. You might not move as much. You might be sitting a lot, especially if you're traveling by plane or by car, so I know those are deal deal breakers for me. So I have to just be really mindful that if I'm waiting around in an airport, I best be walking around for a bit. You know that there are certain things I have come to learn about my body and things that, you know, I hope my clients learn about their own body through working with me so that you just know what you need. You know, I also know sleep is really important to me. Like even when I'm traveling, I got to do my best, you know, so there are certain things like in a, if I had to prioritize like, okay, these are the top five things I got to keep under control if I want to stay feeling great. And they're not, you know, they're not a death sentence like, okay, getting seven hours of sleep is a pretty reasonable thing. <laughs> yeah. So that you have these, these five uh, foundations, diet, rest, exercise, stress reduction, and social relationships. And on the face of it, it sounds really simple and easy. And do you ever find that, that people think it's too simple or too easy? It's like, oh, I already know that. I know I'm supposed to eat. I know I'm supposed to drink water. Is there any ever some disbelief that something so simple can be so effective? I think... By the time clients get to me, a lot of times they're so spent or they feel so rotten. And I attract a lot of women with digestive dysfunction for certain. They're so desperate to feel better sometimes that they're willing to back it up. You know, they've gone down a lot of times they've gone down the the really complicated. They've had all sorts of testing done and they've had all sorts of prescriptions and they've had where I tend to come in and is to try to clear the muddy waters, so to speak, and say like, okay, what have you already tried? What worked? What didn't work? We do a really comprehensive health history. And it's, I think of it as kind of like emptying out a junk drawer or emptying out a closet when you go to clean it. It's like, okay, let's put everything on the bed or the table. Now let's figure out how some of these pieces connect. And then looking at it through this, this, I use the acronym dress, this dress lens. And so while it is simple, what is complicated is how people get in the way or how life gets in the way of actually integrating the change. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where the real challenge is. Because like I said, like, you know, we we all kind of know that we should be doing these things, but in reality, our lives are just so complex or busy or, or, you know, uh, chock full that we don't feel like we have the room, I think, in our in our schedules to actually take care of ourselves. Absolutely. And I think as an old CPA, I, I talk a lot about addition and subtraction. You know, it's a real art form. I think some days when I'm working with clients, recognizing like, where do we need to add more good things in? Or where do we need to focus our energy on subtracting 
things that that leave you feeling spent or unproductive or unfocused. And it's always kind of doing that balance between me and the client, like how to leverage that and how to get to it. So what's the best advice that you've ever received in terms of owning your creativity? Um, the best advice I've ever received around creativity and everything else is probably stop getting ready to get ready. Oh my goodness. That's a good one. (laughs) It was actually gifted to me from my husband. And I think his dad had given him that advice at some point in his life. And he saw me because I'm a recovering perfectionist. So I like to have all the ducks in a row sometimes. Now I would say I, you know, I try to focus on getting like 75 to 80% of the ducks in a row and then trusting I can corral Corral the rest rest as I go. (laughs) I love that image. (laughs) Me me chasing small ducklings around a park. Yeah. (laughs) Because it sounds like life is slathered with joy when you do that, you know? (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you can, you can make yourself crazy anticipating something, whereas the actual doing it might be a hundred times easier. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what is that? The fourth law of thermodynamics or something that, you know, emotion, an object that's in motion takes less energy than one that needs to go from stasis to motion, something like that. So like once you get the ball rolling, it's, it's a lot less energy. (laughs) Yeah. Inertia is our friend. (laughs) So can you share one of your personal habits that contributes to your creative success? Yes. I think one of the most impactful one, and at at the time we're recording this, I'm on a 141-day streak, I think, of meditation. Oh, awesome. So it's something I've dabbled in for years, but really have made a, a bigger commitment to it in the last couple, in the last year or so. And I would say that has been phenomenal for just learning how to tune out some of the voices that say, stop, you're not ready, tune out some of the voices that say, who do you think you are making a large scale art installation? Who do you, you know, who do you think you are collecting 33,000 handwritten task lists? You know, I think it gives you space and perspective. And sometimes we just need the quiet space to, to connect dots, especially when we're working on a big old creative project that's messy and hasn't been done before and isn't linear in any way. Yeah. Well, I think meditation is, is such a great tool for reducing stress and getting, gaining perspective, like you say, and, and just to have some peaceful, quiet time, Uh, you know, um, uh, I teach at the university and, and that's part of one of the courses that I teach there is uh, there's one, one module on, on meditation and mindfulness. And, uh, and it's amazing how effective it can be at reducing stress and just allowing yourself to realize that you don't have to do everything all at once that, you know, and it's good just to take things one step at a time. Absolutely. And I, I joke all the time and say that I have a diva muse. She needs to be really cared for to show up. And it just dawned on me as you were saying that since I started making a stronger and daily commitment to meditation, and let's be honest, some days it's 11 o'clock at night and I'm like, all right, I'm going to at least do five minutes before I go to bed. And that's what it's going to be today. Most of the time I shoot for 20 minutes in the morning before the day gets away from me. But as you were talking, it it made me think about 
times where my own creative impulses have kind of, for lack of a better term, hemorrhaged out like in my sleep or I, I used to wake up sometimes, you know, at four or five in the morning and be scribbling something down or writing ideas about things. And I've noticed as I've been meditating, I, I don't have those interruptions as much to my sleep anymore. Like the ideas still come to me, but they're not trying to like force their way out anymore because I've made space for them to sort of show up in an easier way. I think that's so great that you mentioned that creating the space for those creative ideas to, to come up, you know, to have a place for them instead of uh, forcing them to come out in, in weird and deformed ways sometimes, you know, because, <laughs> because I, I, you know, psychology says that, you know, and I think it was young who said that like, if you repress in one area of your life, it's going to pop up in some bizarre way in another area of your life. And I always had this image of like trying to, you know, balloons, you blow up a balloon and you try to, you know, put it underneath water, but it'll pop up somewhere else, you know, that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Or seeping through the cracks in the sidewalk. Yeah, exactly. So is there a person in your life, um, living or not, um, somebody that you know or not that inspires you to be creative? Oh, I've always had a little bit of a disruptive or renegade energy about me. Like, I like knowing what the rules are. And I think when I was younger, I was much more of a rule follower. And as I've gotten older, I think it's important to know the rules you're going to break. But I would say, especially when I think about the 33K project or where I've taken the, the path not traveled, I would say it's not really a particular person, but a type of person. And it's kind of the you can't get anyone who's ever told me you can't get there from here. <laughs> I think I like the challenge. Yeah. <laughs> and do you have a favorite work of art? It could be any type of art. Yeah. So on a day-to-day -day basis, something that really stokes things for me is definitely, definitely music. And for me, that's more of the rock and roll, garage rock, French pop, and, and electronic music realms. I can't remember a time where that hasn't been a part of my life. And I don't really have very much in terms of skills for playing music. So I'm just focused on being the world's biggest fan when it comes to music. And I mean, I guess the other place where art trickles in is I'm an avid reader. I read at least probably a book a week, if not more sometimes, you know, especially if I'm on vacation and it's somewhere that's got a lot of downtime, like a beach or whatnot. I think that reading is one of the, my all time favorite things to do, just, you know, getting lost in a book and sort of immersed in that, that whole alternate universe is quite lovely. You can, it's almost like taking a vacation without taking a vacation. <laughs> Absolutely. It's funny. You live in Montreal and to me, that is a place in the world where I think it's like the, the winters in Montreal are just so amazing. All I would want to do is just hunker down with tea and a book and a blanket and like never come out until March or April. <laughs> I know that hibernation instinct is very strong in Montreal, but we're <laughs> intrepid and we, we get out there. I mean, I don't know if you know about the, uh, this about Montreal, but in the spring, as soon as the sidewalks uh, are clear of snow, there could be snow on the, uh, on the lawns, but as, you know, as soon as they're, you know, they're almost gone from, 
from the sidewalks, people are out on the terraces. Wow. Yeah. So it's, that's amazing. <laughs> We're hardy folks up here. <laughs> so do you have a favorite quote that inspires you? There's always some sort of quote that I'm collecting and I, I usually keep a big folder of and cycle through them at different points. But one that's been hanging up over my desk for a little while now is is by Coco Chanel. And it's don't spend time beating on a wall, hoping to transform it into a door. Oh, my goodness. I love that. Isn't it great? It is. It touches on expectations and our relationship with expectations and how they can how they can slow us down or drain us in some way. But also it's proactive. Yeah. So is there something that you would like to share with us before we wrap up? Yes. So I know we've touched on it several times. I would love for people listening to come check out the 33K project. And so you can find that on Vital Core on Facebook is a great way because you'll see all pictures coming in and posts about it or on my website, which is vitalcorewellness.com. And I invite you to check it out. And really, the the thing I need most is handwritten task lists from women around the world. So literally, the next time you're about to throw away a task list, try to remember to, to mail it to me. And the address and all the information and a bunch of frequently asked questions are at both of those places. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. This is this is great. I normally talk about food and poop. So it's nice <laughs> to talk, talk about, about creativity for a change. <laughs> and the Oscar goes to... Hey, what are you doing? Uh, nothing. Have you written a script? Well, sort of. I started writing it a few years ago, and I just came across it again when I was doing some spring cleaning. I thought writing a script would be so easy, but it's a lot harder than just watching and enjoying films. Hmm, look at this. It's a screenwriting seminar. Maybe this can help you. Get all the tools you need. I think he's ready for his close-up, Mr. DeMille. (laughs) And you? Are you ready to get that story out of your head and onto the page? Then join me in the next screenwriting seminar. The next one starts March 2nd and further info is available at ownyourcreativity.com. If you have any questions, do leave me a message at info at ownyourcreativity.com.